Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. Since the horrific events in Washington, D.C. on January 6th, I've wanted to speak with a senior foreign diplomat to get a sense of how the violence at the United States Capitol is being interpreted in foreign policy circles overseas. The insurrection painfully exposed to all that a country that ostensibly seeks to promote democracy around the world, in fact, has a violent anti-democratic underbelly. And this anti-democratic sentiment is apparently shared by a significant portion of the Republican Party. I reached out to Ambassador Klaus Scherioth specifically because of something he told me last time we spoke. Klaus Scherioth joined the German Foreign Service in the 1970s and served as the German ambassador to the U.S. from 2006 to 2011. He is now a professor of practice at the Fletcher School at Tufts University and dean of the Mercator College for International Affairs in Germany. We spoke last in April 2018, around the time of the Mueller investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 U.S. election. This was over a year into the Trump presidency, and during that interview, Ambassador Sharyoth told me that one thing he had long admired about the United States was its ability to self-correct, a lesson he learned as a young diplomat following the Watergate hearings. The implication was that he hoped the United States would somehow right itself in response to the Trump presidency. Given the events of January 6, I wanted to learn if he still held that view and also learn from him what he believes are some of the broader implications to U.S. foreign policy stemming from the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. This is, I think, a somewhat sobering conversation that we do discuss the opportunities that lie ahead for the incoming Biden administration to correct some of the mistakes made during the Trump presidency. To me, I think the most interesting part of this conversation was to learn from a senior foreign diplomat with deep experience into the United States what he sees as some structural deficiencies of U.S. democracy that helped lead us to this point. Before we begin, I just want to say if there's anything on your mind, if there are any thoughts you want to share with me about events that are happening as we speak in the United States, there's still, I think, a great degree of uncertainty Uh, not only about what happened at the U.S. Capitol, but what will happen in these next uh, several days until the next administration, the Biden administration takes office. Feel free to reach out to me. You can do so using the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com to share anything on your mind. And, you know, please just, you know, stay safe out there, everyone. All right. Now here is my conversation with Ambassador Klaus Scherioth. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization 
hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Total astonishment, I would say more than surprise. I think none of my friends had expected that such things as we saw in the telephone call between your president and the Georgia Secretary of State or what happened on January 6th, they would ever witness in their lifetime. So for all of my friends, I must say it was a huge surprise and surprise probably is an understatement. And what about for you? You served as the US, as the German ambassador to the United States for, what, like about eight years across different administrations. How are you interpreting these events? Same. I, I would not have thought uh, to experience such a thing. I think it is uh, it's quite significant. I think, first, it does diminish the image, the standing, and also the influence of the U.S., worldwide. And I'm very sad about it because I think that we do need the the United States of America to have a profound and good international order. What real world impact do you foresee this diminishment having on, say, U.S. foreign policy in general and international relations more broadly? it does further reduce the persuasive power of the United States. Let's not forget the current international order is largely, not totally, but largely a product of U.S. thinking and U.S. influence. The United Nations, uh, the Bretton Woods institutions like the World Bank and the IMF, the ICJ, Uh, NATO, all these are American-inspired institutions. And to make them work, uh, we needed a persuasive United States government. And this has been diminished, I'm afraid to say, already during the last four years. Uh, I can't say it happened just with this phone call or on January 6th. It has diminished because Uh, We had a U.S. president, or we still have a U.S. president, who doesn't believe in multilateral solutions, who doesn't believe in win-win, who has made lying an acceptable way of of debate, who has left many international organizations and many international agreements. But what I'm afraid of is that Now, by these events, the United States loses a lot of its soft power, of its persuasive force. And I think that the opponents of the United States, but also the opponents of democracy, uh, be they in Russia or in China or the Iranian Revolutionary Guards, they will be gloating. And they will uh, think, they will love it. And I'm not happy about that. Is the election of Biden a sufficient enough corrective uh, for what has transpired over the last 
um, you know, four years in general, but over the last few days specifically? I think it's a huge step forward. It's a huge step. Don't underestimate that because uh, Joe Biden is an honorable man. He believes in democracy. He believes in multilateral solutions. He believes in international organizations. And so I think he will do many things to bring the United States back into its, into its previous strong position. But it will not be easy because you can't undo everything which has happened in four years. You can't undo the damage done to the JCPOA, that means the Iranian nuclear deal. You can't undo the damage to the Paris Climate Accord, totally. Uh, very difficult to undo the damage to the WHO, the World Health Organization, uh, which has been reduced in its influence by the Trump administration. And also UNHCR, that is the refugees organizations of the UN or the World Trade Organization. All this is difficult, but I think uh, Joe Biden will try to do what he can, and I think he will to a large extent succeed, but it will be a very difficult task. So the reason I wanted to reach out to you specifically, Mr. Ambassador, is because a few years ago, I had you on the podcast, and uh, we were speaking at the time around the Mueller investigation into Russian foreign interference into the uh, election. And you invoked a a line that has stuck with me. um, And we were discussing your history as a U.S. diplomat during the Watergate era, and you said that the ability of the United States to self-correct has always been something you admired and has been a strength of the United States. But I'm wondering now, looking at what has just transpired, if there is any action the U.S. can take at this moment that is sufficient to restore uh, that kind of image of U.S. that you once held. Yeah, I still stick to my view. I I still believe that uh, the U.S. capability to self-correct is larger than that of any other country. Uh, I think in our previous discussion, we discussed why I believe that, for instance, the Supreme Court corrected its decision during the Second World War against uh, Japanese Americans. I think uh, the United States corrected the McCarthy era. And I I could give you many other examples. But I think you probably have to think about profound changes in your democracy. Uh, I I say that with all... uh, uh, yeah caution, because of course it's up to the Americans to decide that. But I believe there are some things which, in my view, need to be changed and which, in my view, have made the situation much worse. If you have the time for it, I might just list list, uh, the most important ones. Please, yes. One is, I think, you have to get rid of gerrymandering, uh, of the fact that the majority party in each uh, state can decide how districts uh, for the elections look like. I think this leads to polarization. This leads to uh, to an empty uh, middle, an empty empty center. This helps the radicals in, in both parties. So I think you should get rid of gerrymandering. Second, I think, in my view, 
you should rethink uh, the financing of elections. I think the United States Supreme Court decision, Citizens United of 2010, in my view, was a huge mistake. And I think you have to find a fairer way to finance your elections. My third point is, I think, and that's probably even more difficult, you have to rethink your voting process. I say that because I believe that the Republican Party right now is in dire straits. And you need for each democracy at least two strong parties. But I think it is very difficult to reform the United States Republican Party under your current election law. I think your election law makes it almost impossible to have a third party or fourth or fifth or sixth party. And therefore, I think I don't think you should get rid immediately uh, of majority voting. We, we, for instance, in Germany, we have uh, representation by representative figures. That means not the strongest guy in an electoral di district or girl uh, gets the gets the seat, but uh, we have uh, those parties. Let's say the Christian Democrats get 35% of the seats if they have 35% of the votes. Now, I don't think you can introduce such a system immediately. What, what you could do, what you could consider is to do it like in Georgia, that you say that whoever wants to win a seat needs to have 50%, 50 plus one, 50% of the vote plus one, because that would mean that uh, you could form new parties. They would get probably in the beginning 10 or 15 or 20%. But they could then form a coalition with other parties. Mm. And that would make it possible for the Republican Party, for instance, to split into two without leaving governance eternally to the Democrats, mm. which you don't want. You don't want just one party. You want more more than one party. It's so I think yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's fascinating for me to hear from you your diagnosis of the structural flaws of US democracy that has led us to this moment. But I wanted to sort of keep keep um um asking you about this this question among the the Republican Party. I mean, you know, we seem to have this emerging split in the Republican Party between, you know, what might be called a pro-democracy faction, you know, the others, you know, I don't I don't have a good label for them other than that they seem to be, you know, willing to accept an authoritarian rule uh of the United States. Um, as a foreign diplomat, how, you know, and I know foreign diplomats have to engage both parties. You know, how does that emerging split in what is now the minority party in the U.S. affect foreign relations of the U.S.? I think we have very good experience with uh, leaders of both parties, leaders of the Republican Party, uh, leaders of uh, the Democratic Party. I think uh, we, in the last 75 years, can say it worked, it worked totally unrelated to the fact who was in power. But I think, uh, and you indicated that, that the Republican Party, in my view, is as a crossroads. They have to decide what they say to what happened on January 6th. They have to decide what they say on this phone call of your president to the Georgia Secretary of State. 
they have to decide what they say to a president who believes that he's above the law. I think no person is above the law. And therefore, I think they have to take action against that wing of their own party. And one must say probably some of their voters and uh, have formulate a clear position. And that's why I made my, my third suggestion. I think you need to have the possibility, even if the Republican Party splits into two, you need to create a possibility for those two other parties, parties number two and number three, to gain a majority. And that means it can't be that one party is so strong that they eternally hold power. Mm. And therefore, I believe you have to change the, your electoral laws to make it possible for the Republican Party to split. So changing the electoral laws is a very long, hard slog with a very uncertain future. I mean, there are, if, if you're talking about sort of more immediate things to do, you know, when Joe Biden is president, he has like a first 100 day agenda in which he can help reset uh, American foreign policy. Um, is there, you know, what would elements of that agenda look like to you that could help the U.S. recover some of its lost image over these last four years and, and you know, accelerating over these last few days? Are there specific steps that you would want to look out for in the Biden administration to take in the coming months? Yeah, in foreign policy, it's quite obvious. Uh, and I think he has indicated already that he wants to rejoin the Paris Climate Agreement. I think he will take a hard look at possibilities to rejoin also the Iran nuclear deal. I think he will try to work uh, strength to strengthen the WHO, the World Health Organization, and also the World Trade Organization. He will also uh, re contribute again to the UNHCR, to the refugees uh, organization. He will pay the dues to the United Nations. And I think he will stop denigrating NATO, for instance, and he will stop uh, denigrating and making fun of allies. And I think he will take a, a stronger stance against authoritarian rulers, which Trump did not. I still remember the Helsinki press conference with uh, Vladimir Putin, which was quite amazing. So all this will change. And I think he will uh, also consult allies before major decisions. He will consult allies as we did in all the years before. For instance, when uh, Russia invaded Crimea, we got together, the US and Europe, uh, and debated how to sanction Russia. And we did together. And I think this has stopped. There is in the Trump era, unfortunately, there was no consultation with allies. And all this will be changed by Biden. So I have no doubt that Biden will usher in a new period of foreign policy, of US foreign policy, a period as we had it during the uh, Clinton, Bush, and also the Obama years. But if you're a foreign diplomat dealing with the U.S. administration in uh, the Biden era, I mean, to what extent in the back of your mind are you thinking that any deals you make, any negotiations, any agreements you have with the Biden administration 
will um, not be undermined by the next iteration of a Trump-like president that could be just four years away. I mean, has, has have these last four years like forever pierced the myth of American exceptionalism? I was never a believer in American exceptionalism. Uh, I think many, many countries have thought that they are exceptional, including Germany, by the way, during a dark period of our history. But also other countries have thought they are exceptional. I don't buy any of that. I don't think any country is exceptional. But I believe that the United States uh, was the first country in the world who tried the democratic experiment, basically starting around 1776 and 1789. So I think America has a long history of uh, and a long history of a democratic tradition. And I believe that this uh, is not totally lost. But as I said, we need uh, the Biden administration also to move on changing these things which I shortly mentioned, I think getting rid of gerrymandering because mm-hmm. it's it's a road to radical uh, to a radical Congress which doesn't talk to each other. You have to uh, rethink financing of your elections because currently, I think companies and large donors, since Citizens United have too much power, I think you have to make it possible uh, that third, fourth, fifth, and sixth parties have the possibility to gain a seat in Congress. Uh, We, for instance, in the 1960s in Germany, we had basically three parties. Now we have at least six, you could say also seven parties in parliament. And I think it was to our benefit that new forces, like for instance, the Greens, they had a chance to enter parliament. And I think you should open this uh, doorway also to new movements in the United States, that they have a chance to also win a seat in Congress. They couldn't have a chance to, of course, take over government immediately, but they they should have a way, a a road uh, to a seat in Congress or to seats in Congress. And therefore, I think uh, you should consider that. I think in addition to that, now what happens with uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, I think you also need an antitrust law for social media. Mm. I think like you had an antitrust law to defeat Standard Oil in 1911 or to defeat Mother Bell in the 1980s, you uh, they were basically, by your antitrust law, they were diminished in their importance And I think you have to do something against an all-powerful Twitter and Facebook. I believe the Trump presidency would not have been possible without Twitter. It's just very interesting for me to hear from you that what is required uh, is America to enact these long-term, broad structural changes to American democracy in order for the U.S. to regain uh, its image and, and, and reassert its soft power around the world. Yeah, no, that's, but I'm, I'm quite optimistic. I'm quite optimistic. I'm, I, I'm lucky that I know some of the people who are part of the Biden team and I have full confidence that they will tackle this. I just hope 
that uh, they will also try to begin those internal reforms which I just mentioned. What the danger I think we have, we see now, is that those people who have always maintained that American democracy is a fraud, like Putin, like Lukashenko, like others, that they have a field day. And that's why that's why I believe it, it's a, a certain tragedy what happened on January 6th and also on this phone call. Uh, all right. Well, thank, thank you so much, Ambassador. Yeah, thank you. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Ambassador Sherioff. That was great. Uh, I've always appreciated learning from him. And he was actually first introduced to me through our mutual affiliation with Humanity in Action, which is an international human rights fellowship program I participated in while I was a college student. And I'll post a link to Humanity in Action in the show notes of this page in case there are any college students out there who are interested in joining this fellowship program or learning more about it. All right, I will see you next time. Thanks so much. Bye.